marching in that tiny, bitty bitty little book. <laughs> Perfectly sized book. Right, robustly now. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of the Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring, the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the nations and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. This is, this is for a um, community. This is conveniently um, already communitized. So we, instead of, I don't know. Sorry, pluralize. That's very nice. Yes. So yes, that's I can true. make it tougher on you later. If you <laughs> so it's already pluralized. That's right. Already pluralized. All right. So praise God. We've already made it to the cult. And, uh, and you guys have got your first week in the uh, last week of the master's life. And I can't wait for you to, uh, to study next week. Um, or this week coming. I had a blast putting the lesson together, and uh, it's been uploaded for those of you listening online. And uh, references to the Godfather and all kinds of cool things. So you'll you'll enjoy that, I hope. Um, so lesson seven, we are wandering around, evidently, on our way to Jerusalem, and the Master gives two different parables. One is of the two sons, and one is of the master and the son leasing the vineyard. So, I've heard the two son deal so many times. I'm just, I'm just curious about your thoughts. Just top of your head. Man has two sons. He asks them both to go out and work first one says, absolutely, and never goes out. The second one says, I'm not going out, but actually goes out. What are your thoughts? This is really a parable version of the words that God gives to Ezekiel on the topic of righteous and wicked. God speaks to Ezekiel and says, um, I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, if the, uh, basically, if the wicked man turns from his wicked ways and does righteousness, then I will count him as righteous. Then he flips it around and says, if the righteous man turns from his righteous ways and does wickedness instead, then I will count his, I will count him as wicked. So the idea being that, like, the, I think the goal that we're getting at here is what's the trajectory of life? Not necessarily where you end, but it's definitely the direction you're going. Okay. And, um, and part of what Yeshua is hitting at in this point is in reference to John, the baptizer, because the Pharisees and such have been critical of Yeshua's uh, companions for a while now. Sure. Because he hangs people who were used to be various and sundry lowlifes. And Yeshua's comment by this parable is effectively, I can say paraphrasing Ezekiel in a parable format, in which he's saying, look, you guys may sound really good, and may even do a lot of great things, but if your life doesn't end up righteous, all that's irrelevant. 
these people started off horribly, that's true, but they've made an about face and right. they're going in the right direction now. Exactly. So doesn't this fit with another parable that he tells? That obviously hit all of you pretty well there. What about the man who goes out to work for a denarius, day's wage? He's hired first thing in the morning, and he's going to get a denarius. The guy who shows up at noon gets hired for a denarius. The guy who shows up an hour before closing time, he's going to work for a denarius. It's the same kind of deal. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. And uh, it brings me to the thief on the cross. There's two of them that are badgering him, but one of them wises up. And the response, eventually, from the Lord of life is, today, you will be with me in paradise. I was thinking, as I was reading through, how easy it is to accept uh, a request and say, yes, I'll absolutely do that. And... Uh, and also, other times it's easy to say, no, I can't, I, I just can't make it. But the guy who says that he can't do something and then turns around and actually does it, it takes a lot of pride in certain circumstances to actually refuse to do something and actually humble yourself to go and actually follow up and do it. Especially if his dad's asking him to go work in the field and he said no, he's having to humble himself and go do what his dad has asked him to do. Mm -hmm. I would say that much more he has earned. Even if the first son had said, yes, I'll do it, and they do it. Yeah. But to say, no, you're not going to realize your fault and have the wisdom and the uh, ability to be humble and lower yourself and then actually carry through with that, I, don't, I think that carries more weight. I can tell you it works with sons-in-law, too. I would say yes. So. <laughs> yes, son-in-law number one. Well, it kind of reminds me of the uh, the parable of the sower as well. Really? I was really struck by the description of the one where it's like, you know, you sow the seed and it like it sprouts up really quickly. Yeah. The roots didn't go deep. Mm. It's the same kind of thing, right? It's like, like the first guy who like says, yes, excited. I'm going to go Absolutely. help you. Yes. I'm so excited. And he doesn't amazing. show. And then it just fizzles That's out. That's good. I didn't think of that. And yeah. so like... It, 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 his faith, essentially. It, that's a, it's a reflection on his faith that yeah. gets very excited in the beginning and then it just fizzles out. There's right. nothing for right. it to, to grab hold of. Yeah, that's good. I hadn't thought of that. I, I personally think that Yeshua's parables on the topic of faithfulness, which is maybe the best way to describe mm -hmm. these, mm -hmm. um, uh, are rather terrifying coming out of the you know traditional once saved always saved church and that's not to say that, that doctrine isn't necessarily true right but the way in which is typically preached the i said a prayer so i'm going to heaven now live and like hell good. i'm okay and even if maybe we wouldn't say it quite that way the idea is well because i remember I mean, as a kid you know you're like i don't know if i'm really saved or not people ask you were you baptized did you accept jesus into your heart whatever like right. no one's asking right. you how are you living right now are you serving god because, I mean, that's really the only way you can know if your faith is legitimate. Well, to your point, which is great, let's take a look at the Word of God. This is what we're reading. Is there any... Did you uh, put your faith in me? Did you get baptized? There's none of that. It's, 
I don't care where you're at right now. Repent, hmm. for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To those that are obviously sinning, what does he say? Don't sin anymore. <laughs> and nothing like this may happen to you again. But even like his warnings about Lot's wife and his warnings about the plower who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back, right. I mean, all of this language right. implies this idea that you can get excited about this stuff and miss the boat completely. You bet. Because it's a lifestyle that needs to continue. And John later will say, and we'll get to it sooner or later, how do you know whether they were real or not? Are they still with us? <laughs> right. No. Well, the answer has been given. That kind of deal. Hmm. Cool. All right. Can I just throw out another little theme thing Julian and I noticed this week? Yes, absolutely. So we're looking at the beginning of this passage, and um, it's Yeshua and, and the writers are playing off of the Hillel. So they're getting ready to start Pesach, and during the month, the week of Pesach in Judaism today, you read the Hillel every single day during the week. Right. Well, there Correct. are multiple psalms in the Hillel that get either quoted, paraphrased, or alluded to in this journey, including the stone that the elders despise has become the cornerstone. Right. Right. Um, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That also is referenced there. And interestingly enough, um, there does seem to be like this whole, like almost like a psalm-like theme. Yeshua will later reference that the unusual psalm, the um, he questions the Pharisees about the David said to my Lord, yeah, my son. And an interest, and then to that respect, I thought it was fascinating that when he sends the disciples to go get the colt, he tells them the Lord has need of it. This is something that I think we gloss over in our Christian world because the Lord has need of it. But in this particular time frame. That's a really unusual phrase. It doesn't really make any sense. It, Yeshua doesn't call himself that like up until this point. Right. So it's definitely, there's an idea there of um, the Hillel type language talking about this, like thinking about kings, thinking about David's prophecies, thinking about King Messiah coming into Jerusalem. Yeah. So Yeshua is embracing that. You bet. I didn't realize that, I didn't tie it to the, to the cult deal. That's cool. What do you mean? That go into the city and you'll find a man and you'll see a cult there, untie it and start to take it. But the guy's going to stop you and say, hey, what are you doing with my cult? Where are you taking my BMW? And the, the response just needs to be, my Lord has need. There it is. The Lord has need of it. Bam. That's cool. Which does also goes back to Zechariah as well, because it talks about your king is coming to you. Yeah. There's definitely a Humble. royalty yeah. element there. Yeah, cool stuff. All right. If I turn it the other way, it's bigger. Bam! <laughs> Let's talk about timing markers. I'm just curious about what you found in this deal here. So for those who have not been necessarily following along with us, um, are we okay on the, on the audio? Is, are people like, they can hear it? I haven't checked if they can hear it. Well, I'm checking the chat. I would ask the chat, Oh, can everybody hear everything okay? You know, just to, to make sure. <laughs> you thought you didn't have to record this. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> Nobody can hear anything, it's horrible. We actually did a test. Uh, 
Yeah, right. Yeah. So we did it. We did a test uh, the other day with Dave McDonald, and he's like, "Wow, this is great. It's so crisp and clear. We should use this for our luncheon worms. This is great." So anyway, of course, Alan was sitting there, and Mary's sitting there, and there's two female voices and me, and it wasn't you masculine men, which I assume are going to carry over the airwaves better. So, uh, again, uh, by way of review, we've had three and a half years of ministry from the Master, and now he shows up at Bethany, has a little dinner deal, and then the next day wants to head down into Jerusalem. That's where he asks for the cult to be brought up. And he rides the cult in, and we've got what the church calls Palm Sunday. So I'm hoping by the end of tonight, we'll come to a conclusion. Was it Sunday? Obviously, there were palms. I get that. But was it Sunday? And where do we stand in the week as, uh, as the master teaches in the temple for several days before he's... Uh, for he has a Seder and is taken. We'll read about that, of course, next week. So, what kind of uh, timing markers did you see? Any? Any at all? Caleb, did you see any timing markers? Timeline? Timing markers? Timing. Uh, no. Like now and after these things, today, it was the 14th of March. Something like that? Do you see timing markers? No. You saw no timing markers. Where's Luke? 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 I think Luke does that a lot. And after these things, and after these things, yeah, and yeah, then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, good. Uh, John, John 12 says that there he's going to Bethany on six days before the Pesach. Exactly. That's the first one. And then one. he says the next day. Right, because he had, it was late in the day, and he had dinner right. in Bethany. And the next day, he went into Jerusalem. So late in the, the next day is the triumphal entry. Right. So that would be five days before Passover. Of course, the question is, what day of the week was Passover on? Well, we should be able to figure that out. That, that's actually very interesting. I think I told you before, the, uh, Tim Heck has a long but really interesting look at the four gospel accounts regarding the Passion Week, essentially Jesus' yes. crucifixion and yep. the Seder and all that. And at the end of it, if there's one thing he's convinced on, it's that everything took place on Friday, actually. And if there's one thing that, and he says at the end of it, he's like, I, and I know that's crazy, but I think if we look at the accounts, the thing that we, we need to learn more about or dig deeper on is what Yeshua meant by the three days and three nights thing, because that's the only thing that doesn't fit. Right. But his point is, we, from the gospel accounts, we can conclusively see that it's it's Friday. That's his opinion. Yes. I think a lot of us don't you might think it's more on the on the, the Thursday, Wednesday night deal. I, you know what? Yeah. I'm I have an opinion and I'm trying to hold it at bay because I don't want to be right. I want to know the truth. Hmm. So what do we know so far? He rides in five days before Passover. When is Passover? Five days or six days? I'm sorry? He's in Bethany. Six he's days in Bethany before, six he, days It's the before. next day that he goes to Jerusalem. And it says the next day he arrives wow. at Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. So five days 
before Passover. So when is Passover? What's the date of Passover? Guys, help me. The date. The day? Yeah. yeah. What date? Of Nissan. The number. When does every holiday happen on the Hebrew calendar except one? The, the Not like fourth, the ninth, twelfth, fifteenth. That's exactly right. So the like first that. day of unleavened bread, which is a week long, starts on the fifteenth of Nisan. When's Passover? The day before. The day before or the evening before. At the twilights, at sundown, the evening before, on the 14th, is Passover. It's a point in time. It's not a day. All right? So the 14th of Nisan is what we're looking for. 14 minus 5. 9. 9. I went to school for it's good. Is that true, though? Yes. You sure? 14 minus, four, 14 minus 5 is 9. 14 minus 5 is 9. Okay. Just check it. Of that we are certain. Of that we are certain. <laughs> so it's the 9th of Nissan. So if it's the 9th of Nissan, and I say it's five days to Passover, Caleb, 10. 11, 12, 13, 14 is Passover. But is that the day of Passover? No. When's the day of Passover? 15th. The 15th. Not the 14th. Mm -hmm. It's the 15th. But we all know that the day starts the night before. So what day is he riding in on? Probably the 10th, 11, 12, 13, 14, first day of Passover, 15th. Does everybody understand that? He's riding in on the cult to Jerusalem on what the church calls Palm Sunday on the 10th of Nisan. Why is the 10th of Nissan important? Ooh, there it is. Why is the 10th of Nissan important? That's not a day that we need to be concerned about, is it? What happens on the 10th of Nissan? Anybody? Anybody? Torah guys? Torah guys? What? Well, the cult happened on the 10th of Nissan. The cult happened on the 10th of Nissan. You're exactly right. Not what I'm looking for. Thinking about three, uh, about a thousand years earlier. If I read the Torah, and I'm in a temple scenario, and I want to keep the Torah, what am I going to do with my dad on the 14th of Nisan at the evening, which would be the beginning of the 15th of Nisan? Go slaughter a... I'm going to go slaughter a... Sheep. A sheep? No goat. No goat. No bear. No lion. No. No. Kitten. No. No. What am I going to do? Behold the lamb. Lamb. I've worked with lamb. I think you'll work with lamb. All right. So if I'm going to go kill the lamb, what do I need to know?
about the lamb. Josiah, jump on him. What do I need to know? What do you need to know? If I'm going to go sacrifice this lamb, what do I need to know about the lamb? That it's unblemished. That it's unblemished. How does the Torah tell me that I can know that this lamb that's going to cover the sins of my family is unblemished? It should have a tattoo on the side that says kosher. <laughs> no? Caleb? Anything? No. Sadly. It's with hooves. Oops. What are you supposed to do with the lamb? Skin it. How many say tickle? Tickle the lamb. <laughs> no. Scratch the lamb. No. No. What do we do with the lamb? Separate us from its mother before we kill the mother. I like that. It's very clever. <laughs> Might even be Torah based now that I'm looking for them. But close. Help me. Okay, so in the 10th of Nisan, to determine whether or not the lamb is unblemished, God says in Exodus, in the first past Passover, to break, take a lamb into your home so that you can examine it to make sure that it's kosher. So, for those of you. <laughs> who may be into the animal world, this is the only time in the scripture where we're commanded to bring an animal into our home. Like a dog. Like some would do with a dog. <laughs> Different, we can only hope, from the dog. <laughs> what do we do with the lamb four days later? <laughs> That was perfect, man. It was, the timing was great. What do we do with the lamb after four days? Kill it. We kill it. So, would this be appropriate for a hunting dog? No. Probably not. No. Maybe the hunting dog should stay outside. Yes. I don't know. It, you know. All right. So, it's a good time. So, what does Yeshua do? He comes into... He presents Jerusalem. himself. Literally he, enters... God's house, Habayit, for examination. There it is. John the baptizer said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not the Baptist, the baptizer. Right. That's exactly right. So, what does the Master do? Presents himself as that Lamb on the 10th of Nisan. How does he present himself? What do we have for the next several days going on in the temple? What did you read? What does he do? Does he play cards? No. Backgammon? Does he order meals? What does he do? He drives out the merchants. He drive, drove out drove the merchants, merchant. right? What else? The only thing I can think of is how a whole lot of parables. He teaches. He teaches. And he also says that... Uh, that the temple is not the place for for uh, selling goods. Right. So the merchants are gone, and basically, what happens aside from his teaching? What happens during those days? Todd. Let me finish my homework. <laughs> what the, what happens? The scribes and the uh, elders yeah. are challenging him 
constantly. If they're challenging they're him examining. to see if his theology is right, what are they doing? They're examining, they're exam examining him. Exactly right. Just like the lamb. Exactly right. Exactly. See if it's kosher. Beautiful. Beautiful. So one of the coolest ones, personally, I think, one of my one of my favorites here, is their very first question that they give him. They ask him, "By what authority are you doing these mm. things?" Right. Now, this is an important question in Judaism. It's sure. not based because yeah, I think in, in Christianity you get that question and you'd probably think to yourself, "Well, by the authority of God, that's how I'm," you know. The, the, the Pope or whatever, yeah, but whatever. Judaism says... So I can better understand this. I actually didn't understand why they would have been like... I didn't understand the whole comparison against um, if man gives you authority and why that was an issue with the prophets. I, I didn't understand the correlation there. So so here, what they're doing is they want to know what's your smicha. rabbinic ordination, your smicha. Right. Who's, yeah, who's right. your teacher who taught you and said, you are a teacher now? So, before he goes on, I don't want to cut you off, I just want to help. Um, I, I know Scott and I have dealt with the whole pastoral search committee thing in the past. And oftentimes the big questions on the front end are, okay, you, you, I mean, you're a very nice guy, you have a nice family, pretty wife, nice house, all that kind of stuff. Where'd you go to school? What, what degrees do you have? That's that's the question about how are you going to be able to teach us? That's mm -hmm. your job, right? You need to be able to teach us. So where'd you get your training? Mm -hmm. And how are we going to know that you're okay? Because if you want to be their pastor, it ain't going to cut it. You or me, they're going to say, who are you? What kind of authority do you have to teach us? Mm -hmm. Here... Smicha, literally the laying on of hands, which Paul talks about later. It's a weighty thing. You lay the hands on and transfer authority or power. Moses does this to Joshua. We see it later on as Paul does it to Timothy. And this smicha, this authority, is absolutely paramount. It's critical in Judaism. If you've ever read the Talmud, or you've read any type of rabbinic writings, you'll often read, and Rabbi so-and-so said, in the name of Rabbi so-and-so. Mm -hmm. What's up with that? All he's trying to do is show where the authority comes mm -hmm. from for what he's saying. I'm saying this, forget me, it was this rabbi who said it. And we all know that rabbi. That's smicha. So what are they asking? In Hebrew, they're saying, where'd you get smicha? Who ordained you? Right now, our president-elect, and he it's official. is official. our president-elect, has an orthodox Jewish daughter. Ivanka Trump has converted to Judaism quite, quite some time ago, actually. And she has... Jewish children. Be the first. Yes. But the big question is, are they Jewish children if she goes to Israel? Is her conversion legitimate? You can never know. 
You can know. Oh, you can know. In this case, they're going to go, who did your conversion? Well, wait a second. Where did he get his sneak? Right. That's a big deal right now. Authority. Where did you get your authority to say this person's Jewish? Where did he get his authority to teach like he's doing? So it's just whether or not did God give you the authority, or did your rabbi? Well, actually, no. The they question, never care about God giving. This is authority. the brilliance in Yeshua's right? response. This is well, why Yeshua's response. I mean, if you want to, if you want to learn how to be a good uh, uh, person, Jewish arbiter, a, a good debater, yeah, you memorize this response. Time this to is not. brilliant. So he gets asked. Who is your man-made authority? Because that's how we recognize that you have the right to teach. Right, because it's not, you can't just fake it like we do in the church and say, God gave me this right. authority. How do we know? So, God exactly, gave right. So then, so Yeshua, instead of saying, instead of trying to explain it, well, man didn't give me this authority. I really heard from God. He speaks in my head and I say whatever he says, which is going to make him sound either crazy, blaspheming, or possibly both. Right. Um, he instead flips the whole thing around by asking a question. His question is brilliant because he asks them not about himself. He asks about John the baptizer. And he says, well, instead of saying, where does his authority come from? He says, where does John's authority come from? Was he from men or was he from God? So what's brilliant about this is that the, the his, his uh, people he's debating with, they're, they're trapped. Yeah. Because if they say he's from men, they're afraid the people will be mad at them because they believe that he was a prophet who had his authority from directly God. from God. So see, that's the way that the line of prophets in the Tanakh had their authority, for the most part. Yeah. They got it straight from God. God spoke to so-and-so. You read that over and over and again. And God spoke to Haggai, son of so-and-so. And he said this. And that's where they got their authority from. So the people are com convinced John is a prophet, meaning he has authority from God and man is irrelevant. So in, what Yeshua effectively does... And, and, and the, the authority from man comes from Sinai. Moses passed it, to, passed it on to Joshua. Joshua passed it on to the elders. To the elders. It's a Samuel. And then Samuel, but you know, and all you know, do, 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 and they can name each guy. Yeah, it's a birthday vote. They got the whole list. Right. And it's the list is right there. They know. Do, 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 all the way down. So they're saying, so this guy gave it to that guy, who gave it to that guy, who the hell gave it to you? But see, what's great about this is that rather than argue over that point, Yeshua effectively gets his own critics to acknowledge that authority from God is more valuable than authority from men. Right. So he actually flips the whole thing on its head. So rather than the question being, where do you get your authority? Because it's not from a man. We don't trust you. He actually ends up effectively implying my authority comes from God. And you know what that looks like because you saw John. And because they can't answer... You won't, you won't ding him, right. therefore you, you can't, can't ding, ding me. me. So because, and when they don't answer, he says, I won't tell you. But what's funny about it is it's not a diversion. Because you can read it and you feel like, well, he's diverting the question. He's just, he just doesn't know how to answer, so he's giving his own question. Yeah, That's not, not the not idea the at all. His question answers their question. You bet, you bet it does. Does everybody get that? You cool with that? Yes. Yeah, like, got a little confusing there, but I think I straightened it out. Yeah. <laughs> he he's, flips it around. He's brilliant. In his his way of doing it, he doesn't have to name a person and say, "Well, well, I I got my sneak off from Joshua." And of course, you know Joshua; he got it from 
Scott, Scott got it. We, you don't have to go through that. He just used his jaw. Which does pull back into Deuteronomy, because the whole prophet, like into Moses, is supposed to hear from God. That's the idea. In the same way that Moses, Moses did. did. Mm-hmm. So it's a slam dunk on both counts. Prophet and the prophet. In prophecy and the prophets, the Ketuvim, uh, the uh, Nevi'im, as well as in the Torah from Moses. Cool. His other question or answer that he gives to the Sadducees regarding resurrection also brings it back to Moshe. That is good. At the bush. So let's, let's, let's uh, rework that so everybody catches up. So we've got another question that comes and says, Hey, got a woman. She marries a guy. He dies. She marries another guy. He dies. And so on and so on. Eventually, she's got seven husbands. So in the resurrection, who's she married to? The first. The first. There's a man who didn't read. What did the master say? He said, you don't understand anything about the resurrection, basically. Or or the the power of God. The power of God, yeah. Because... In the resurrection, nobody's going to be married anyway. So right. the question itself is irrelevant, but I think it's so cool that he he he, has, he effectively discredits their question as like you you don't even the very fact that you ask the question that way, which is you're you're really asking me if there's resurrection. But I'm just going to go ahead and point out that your question is is stupid. It's a stupid <laughs> question. You, and you don't you're even understand. Sadducee, you don't even believe that there is a resurrection. Exactly, and then and then he it, ah just it's. To me, this is probably my favorite because I think it's after this one where it's like, and they never asked him another question. That's it. We're done it's now. like, I mean, okay. it's, that you know what? I just would have never even thought of of a statement like that being proof of the resurrection. I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Is he's God not the, the God of the dead? Is he? Right. I mean, he's the God on. of the living, but he's the God of them. So that means they must be living. Living. And you're like, oh, bam! That is crazy. Yeah. And you can see. The whole crowd is like, bam, high-fiving. And in fact, it's even more impressive because what I understand about Sadducees, one of the things about them that made them very difficult to argue this issue with is that they refused to accept the authority of anything after Deuteronomy. Yeah, the, Only the, the Torah the was... The whole Nebuim is, is no, no good. So you it. can't point to any of the resurrection comments that David makes or anything in the prophets. Or, or even Eliyahu taking over. Right, exactly. So Yeshua pulls, like... From the, from the Torah, specifically from God speaking to Moses, which is really like the preeminent moment in the Torah, and he manages to use that to prove the point. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, if you read in the, I believe it's Mark's version of this, he actually, so, and I don't mean to skip through all the questions, but the, the one right after that comes from a, uh, it's effect, effectively a softball question. He gets asked, what's the greatest commandment in the Torah? I thought that was the coolest deal. So it's interesting. You you went on the smika. You went on. He's the God of the living. And I'm like, it's the next one. For me, that was just top shelf. Well, not to steal your thunder, but I'm just going to say that the, when, they, when they had this discussion, what's the greatest commandment? Yeah. What's cool about it is, I believe in this moment, Yeshua and this scribe, I believe in other, other Gospels, the scribe is a Pharisee, 
they have a moment. They have a man moment, yes! Because one of the things when they finish, so the question is, what's the greatest commandment? Yeshua answers, and I won't take away from you what you want to say about that. He answers exactly the way the Pharisee would have answered. Exactly right. Exactly the same way. But then the Pharisee repeats what he says, but then adds to it in the Mark version. He adds by saying, and this is greater than all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices, which is a reference back to uh, Samuel talking to Saul. Exactly. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. Right. But it's also like a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, ding on the Sadducees, who Yeshua's just been arguing with, because they're the priests. Right. They right. see the entire universe is about the temple. Right. So what they effectively end up having this moment together where they look at each other and go, we know these guys aren't doing the right thing. They think that the only thing that matters is sacrifices, but we know better. Another high five! <laughs> yes! In fact, I was talking to Juliana about this. This Reading these passages, all of these passages together, seeing the, the shift, up until now, we've seen the Pharisees be very much uh, making an active effort to catch Yeshua. Yeah. Arrest him, sure. trick him, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oddly enough, I haven't looked at all, we haven't read through all the rest of the Gospels yet, but I think that basically stops now. Yes, they back off, and when next week you're going to find that it's the, the chief priests and the scribes, or the chief priests and the lawyers, depending on your, on your uh, translation, are the ones that are going to come to arrest him. So Only the book of John one time mentions Pharisees, and it's almost implying, in keeping with the other ones, that it was only a couple of them. It certainly wasn't a majority. And, and what's amazing, though, is that if that's true, if you look at the Matthew passage and, and sync it up with these, these questions, what this effectively means is Yeshua gets a wave of questions. Yeshua answers the questions brilliantly, shuts everybody down, answers some of them exactly the way the Pharisees would have answered them, completely destroys their primary rivals, the Sadducees, then turns around and rips into the Pharisees for all of the things that they're doing wrong. But instead of that being the reason why he's crucified, that's the reason why it appears the Pharisees accept him to some degree. Not that he's Messiah to them, but they seem to almost be like, we were wrong about this guy. That's right. He's not a threat. Joshua's hit there, I mean, big time. If you didn't catch that pharisaical relationship shift, then you need to go back and read it, and you'll see that from this point, or, or from that point forward, you're going to find Pharisees literally standing up and saying, yeah, I'd, I'd like the body. Later, I'll, I'll help bury him. Later, these two guys are disciples of Yeshua, and I think you need to be careful. If you're going to fight against them, you may find yourself fighting against God. And I'm agreeing with you 100%. I will tell you that one of my favorite parts is a one time in the Bible where a man actually gives encouragement to God. It's in the parallel passage of the one you talked about. And the lawyer looks at him and says, you've answered correctly. Well done. <laughs> Keep going along this path. You're going to do really well here. Incredible. 
good. It, it is uh, just to follow, uh, just to conclude the analogy of Yeshua being being brought into the house yeah, for, on the for tent, inspection. For yeah. inspection, it's really cool that there is closure to that because yeah. it's in almost all of them, at least. Yeah, that it says they're, they're, they were done. We're done. No more questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're after a few different parables. It looks like Luke, it was after the one about the resurrection, and then in Matthew, I think it's after the commandment. Yeah, one but either way, but still, it's, it's clear. Yeah. He's passed the tests. Nobody can find anything wrong, and they've chosen to not ask him any more questions. That's incredible. And I just want to quickly throw out that if this scenario is correct, that the Pharisees, after this, warm up, yeah. Yeshua. I think that that should increase our respect for them considerably because as I pointed out, in Matthew 23 Yeshua very publicly shreds them it's, for things that they're doing it's incorrectly. Brutal. It's brutal. But rather than take that as a point of bitterness, they seem to take it the right way. Yeah. In fact later on, as my dad has pointed out in the Talmud and whatnot, they will reference evil Pharisees th- themselves, their own people Yeah. To point out, yeah, there were some of us that were doing things that were not okay. Exactly right. And uh, history will also bear out later that when um, the Sadducees kill James the Just, Yeshua's brother, it's the Pharisees that complain to Rome about it. So the relationship between the two groups, as we'll see when we get to Acts, Paul, who's a Pharisee, is an outlier. He gets Sadducean support to persecute the the, uh, followers of Yeshua. Not from the Pharisees. That's exactly right. Good. Yes. No. Okay. All right. Um, John chapter 12 and verse 47. John chapter 12 and verse 47. I asked you to memorize this verse. I think it's important. I think it's completely misunderstood. Micah, do you have John chapter 12 and verse 47? Yes. Could you read it out loud so that everyone in Poughkeepsie, New York, hears it? The one who hears my words and does not keep them, it is not that I will judge them because I have not come to judge the world, but to save the world. I've not come to... Judge the world, but to save the world. So my hope is if you're reading this in context as we're doing from the beginning to the end, one word should come to mind. It's a small word. What is that word? Salvation. Salvation. Or redemption. Redemption. Salvation, redemption. Those are not small words. Faith is a big Hebrew word. Faith is a smaller (laughs) word. (laughs) Tikkun. Can we buy a vowel? Tikkun. Yeah, I want to buy a vowel, yeah. Um, Well, let me put it this way and see if I can give you the context. It's killing us, tell us. Yeah, you know how it is, right? All the words you're giving me are right. They're just not the one I'm looking for, so therefore they're wrong. So I've been your son um, long enough. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> the right word is the right word is always Jesus, right? Um, okay. So if if we're talking and I tell you that Yeshua did not come into the world to judge the world but to save it, 
and you happen to be in sin, should you feel good? He came to save sinners, right? So if you're in sin, should you like go, yeah, glad about that too. Is that what he meant? What did he mean? There's hope. There's hope for what? Life. There's hope for life when? Later. Later. <laughs> if I'm a not a sinner or not prone to sin, or if I have repented, then I'm okay if he came to save the world. If I'm a sinner and I don't believe in him, what is my lot? What? Gehenna. Gehenna. So I will not be saved. I will burn. Like a fire. <laughs> that means I would be judged as falling short. I think when I read this passage, this specific verse, the one word that comes to mind when he says, I didn't come to judge the world, but to save it. Yet. Yet. I am going to come back. And I will not be here to save the world, but to judge it. Judge it. It's so important that we recognize that Yeshua is not teaching we shouldn't judge. Well, let's not be judgmental. Oh, you're judging. Those things are not biblical. We are to judge. Now, if you're going to judge, you might want to check yourself first. I need to check myself once or twice, maybe three times. But you only need to check yourself once. But then I can judge, and I need to judge righteously. He is righteous. His judgment is final. He didn't come the first time to judge. He came to save. That's why his message was very clearly, repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm here. Repent. Of course, if you don't want to, you paddle your own canoe. Because when I come back, I'm not coming to save the world anymore. I already did that. I'm coming to judge the world. We already did the water thing. Now I'm going to do the fire thing. Okay? And you had a question? Just that? What? You had a question? What is the word uh, repent? What is the word repent? The word was yet, what? I believe. Yet. yet. Yet, in my word. Yeah, I was just, yet. But I think that one of the things that's important about the context here is he says, I did not come to judge the world. But he talks about the one who doesn't hear his words. He says, he has one who judges him. It is the words. And this, again, goes back to Deuteronomy 18. Because uh, what, what Hashem says specifically 
is I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, speaking of Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Yeshua references this repeatedly throughout his ministry. And to it him, shall come you about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself require it of him. So Yeshua doesn't judge. God's always already said he's going to judge, and he's going to use Yeshua's words as the standard. And I think that's really the key when you talk about judging rightly. It's not so much that we are not supposed to judge, but how we judge. Exactly. And if our judgment is coming from our own opinion, that's irrelevant. That's right. But if our judgment is coming from the Word of God, that has authority. Amen. Amen. Other comments on that? Okay. In Matthew 26, he says there's two days to pass over. That was another timing marker. Because two days to Passover, what is the date? 13th. The 13th of Nisan. Which would be the day before what happens on the 14th? What happens on the 14th? What do we do? Seder. We have the Seder. And at the Seder, we're going to eat the lamb that we've killed. This is the day before he's going to die. Chapter 26 of Matthew. Where does he have dinner? Anybody remember? He eats in a house. Hmm? No, no, that's the night before. Actually, it may have been that same night. But whose house is it? I'm sorry? Shimon the Metzorah. Shimon the Metzorah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So for those who live in Gastonia, what does that mean? <clears throat> Simon the... Leper. The leper. Is this the okay. same man that came back and thanked Yeshua? I don't know the answer to that. I really don't. But what I do find is that this is biblical humor. This is biblical satire, if you will. What's amazing about this? What's funny about this? It's never happened before in all the world. Why is this absolutely remarkable? That the Yeshua, who will be getting slaughtered, is hanging out with someone who is unclean. Okay. So therefore he could... Is he unclean? Well, if the leper... It has to be Shimon, the former leper. Exactly. How can a leper own a home? Where do lepers go? Quarantine. Leper colonies, the quarantine. Unclean, unclean. Right? They can't be in the city. They can't be with other people. He can't be with someone who's unclean. But yet he is. He's How already, so? He's, he's already healed him prior to. He's already been healed of his leprosy. That's never happened before. There's only one person ever in history who repeatedly cleaned people of a divine disease we call leprosy. And every time, told them to go 
show themselves to the priest. Why? Because you can't be declared clean of leprosy unless the priest says you are clean. So the first anomaly is that he's staying at Simon the leper's house. Lepers don't have houses. <laughs> that would explain why he's already clean. Because if Gotta he, be, right? So if he was unclean, he'd be in quarantine. Right. He wouldn't be at the house. We wouldn't call it Simon's house anymore. It's Martha's house, or Mary's house, or Bill's house, because, well, we don't talk a lot about Simon. Simon, you can go down the road about a half a mile, turn left. Then there's a big drop-off. And down in the ravine there is Simon and his friends. Mr. One guy's Rock. got no fingers. The other guy's got no upper lip. <laughs> Lepers. They can't be part of the, part of the community. And he's eating with, at Simon the Leper's house. It's amazing. Why? Because he must have been healed. <laughs> and it's funny, because the leper's actually got a house. I just think that's wonderful. Same thing happened here. You may not realize it. But you're staying in Joseph the sinner's house. Because he saved me. The same way he did Simon. And he healed me of the same sickness that can kill that he did for Simon. And you're in my house. And that can't be. Because before the Master saved me, we would be enemies. Because of who I was before he healed me. If you don't get that when you read this, maybe you need to spend more time with him. Yes, sir. Um, so, when you show, when another thing that causes me to ask is the man who Yeshua healed and came back, and the guy came back to thank him, is he the man? Is he tells everyone to go to the priest, but it does not say whether he made it to the priest before he turned back. Correct. Then he tell, then Yeshua tells him not to go to the priest, but to go his own way. That's interesting. Is this the Samaritan or the uh, foreigner? The Samaritan. Yeah. I would. I like where you're going, and I like that you're looking at it and cross-referencing it. I would say it's probably not the same guy. Only because this guy's got a Hebrew name. And if this guy was a foreigner, he probably wouldn't have a foreign name. But could work. Could work either way. Could work either way. His house is in his house is in Bethany. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a house in Jerusalem and you or in Israel in the land and you and I can't even get that today. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. Probably not that one guy, but it could have been, been one of the, other one of the nine <laughs> that didn't, you know, got to the priest, got his deal done, he can go back to his family for the first time in who knows how long, and then not only thanks him, but has him over for dinner. 
Google. So my hope was in this week and in this lesson you would see that the master enters into Jerusalem as, as uh, Avigdor would say, as Greg Uphel would say, um, as the only man in Jewish literature sitting on a colt. He enters Jerusalem, and everybody is excited. A prophet, a known prophet, a good guy, a man of the people has come to Jerusalem. And they wave palm branches and say and sing and shout Hosanna to the point where some of the religious leaders want him to calm them down. We're doing the wave in the stadium, and we shouldn't do the wave. What is odd about the fact that they're waving palm branches? When do we wave anything that has to do with a palm branch? It's coat. That's your coat. What are we supposed to wave? Willow. Myrtle. Myrtle. And a palm branch. And a palm branch. So if we're waving palm branches, I've actually read, believe this or not, Christian commentaries written down with their names that say all of Jewish people that day got mixed up and thought it was the Feast of Tabernacles. It's actually pretty funny, isn't it? I mean, holy cow. I mean, come on, right? Quick, that, take that lamb outside. That's right. That. Forget that lamb. We're gonna, well, let's put the lamb in a sucker. You know. <laughs> So yeah, they, uh, they're confused. They don't get it. But what is the Feast of Tabernacles all about? What, what do we celebrate? That God dwelt. God dwelt with us when we came out of Egypt. Redemption resulted in God dwelling with us. Here is a prophet and they believe evidently that God is dwelling with them. Did they get it right or were they really mixed up? I think they got it. So, we start with that and then the master is examined just like we're commanded to do with the lamb. This man who's been called the Lamb. And it ends, as Gregory said, with them all saying, he's kosher. Can't find anything more to ask him. Everything seems to be okay. And I don't understand why it took that long to figure out that he was kosher. So the day before... You kill the lamb is what we read up to. Next week's lesson. This time you read about three days, three and a half, four days in this lesson. Next week's lesson, you're going to read from this point in time 
where he turns to his disciples and they say to him, where are we going to keep Passover? Or what we would say, are you having the Seder at your house or at my house? Where are we having the Seder? Where are we going to keep, or in that day, where are we going to eat the Passover? In the sukkah. So they take, he says, go down into the city and you'll find a man. Just walk into that house and he'll have an upper room prepared for you. All ready to go and we'll have the Seder up there. Now, I, I personally think you could write a little booklet about the guy who's been keeping Passover all his life and is absolutely faithful to God and is nobody that you would ever know. He's just a regular Joe. And the disciples of the Master come to him and he's already been clued in. Maybe like another Joe who had dreams at night. He's willing to open that room up and let them have their Seder there. There's no evidence in the scripture, and I hope you'll look for me, as to whether or not he and his family had their Seder in that same room. But it would be interesting for somebody in that day to have a big enough place to have two different Seders going on in the same building. Or not. But you're going to read the choice of the place and then the Seder. They'll go out and you'll stop right after his arrest. So you read about three or four days this week. Next week, one day. One day in the life of the Messiah. You'll start at dawn and your reading will end the very next morning. Yeshua has not been to bed, and his day is not done. Yes, sir? Well, it would have been possible that they had the Seder with Yeshua. Absolutely. There's just no evidence in the scripture that they were there. It's absolutely possible. And as you read through it, you let me know what you think next week. But that's, uh, that's where we're at. It could have simply just been that it was insignificant that they joining. Yeah. Maybe it was just a man and his wife. Maybe it was... A man by himself. Mm -hmm. And he normally wouldn't have a Passover by himself because his household wasn't big enough. So he would have to eat with someone else. Could be. Well, maybe it was just a uh, hospitable gentleman who had extra room in knowing that there were going to be yeah, a lot of extra people. Yeah. It's something he did every year. Sure. He had this room. I got was this prepared for the Ready center. to go. That's right. And it could be the opposite would be amazing, the opposite of his beginning. When there was no room for him, and now there actually, not only is there room, but I prepared a prepared place. place. Yeah. Oh, cool. If you didn't have an upper level, you could always use a garage. Yeah, you can use anything you want. 
Other comments? Anything at all? You are so close. Yes, sir. Uh, so Mark 12, I thought it was a cool, this was a cool response when the scribe, after he questions him about the, the greatest commandments and everything, he's like, oh, wow, you, you're, you're absolutely right. But then he kind of adds on to it a little bit. We talked about that before, but I loved his response where, he's, where Yeshua says, you answered wisely. And he said to him, you are not far yeah. off from the kingdom of God. Yeah. And I think that's so cool because... The, what he, what did he say that made you know that he's he was also questioned for like what do I do to enter the kingdom? He basically said these two things: yeah. love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, oh, but I've been keeping all those commands, you know. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> but then here I think it's cool that he reiterates it and points out like, okay, so if you if you actually did that, then you would be a part of the kingdom. Thinking it is good, you're not far off. That's right. Yeah, it's cool stuff. I love it. I love it. Yes, sir. You mentioned about uh, there being about the place being prepared for Yeshua and his disciples. Yes. About there being a place prepared. That reminded me of Yeshua saying that he will go into the kingdom and prepare a place for the... Exactly right. Just the opposite. In this case, he's going to prepare a place. And we're going to talk about that next week. Um, and I hope that you'll take special care in your homework to look at that. Um, I think place is a poor translation. I don't want to give it away, but you check out my thoughts on that. Um, and I don't think you and I have discussed it, but I think it fits well with, uh, at least with my theology of uh, his task. I mean... Where is Yeshua now, Josiah? When he died, and he rose from the dead, and he left. Where did he go? Up into heaven. Up into heaven. So where does he? Where is he now? At the right hand of God. Outstanding answer. Is he standing up or is he sitting down? I would say sitting. Why would you say sitting? I don't, I don't know. Just it sounds right because God has a. I mean, God has a throne. Right, and he has, and I would think it like this way: where God is, a, is the king, and he would have a prince, Jesus, and God would have a special seat made for the prince. So I think he would be sitting. Yeah, that's clever. It happens to be right, but your reason is bogus. So read the word, and you will see. Book of Hebrews will tell you that. What's the high priest do on Yom Kippur? He goes into the holy of holies. He goes into the holy of holies, and. He does his deal with the blood and the whole thing, and he changes his clothes, and he gets in the mikvah, and he comes back, and he changes his clothes again, and he does the thing, and he you know, went out with the bull, and he went with the thing, and the word, and he back and forth. First time for him, first time for the family, and now for the thing, and now, now we do the whole thing over here, and you've got to get back out of the clothes and change the clothes, and now the mikvah, back in, and you're right. Is there any chairs? No. Does he ever sit down? No. no. Well, the writer of Hebrews says, this is a big deal. The high priest has to do this every single year, over and over and over. And he never sits down, because his work's never done. Like Jesus. But the master, once, done, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. If he's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, Josiah, where is he preparing a place? 
He's already prepared. He's already prepared it. Where did he prepare it? <laughs> in heaven. In heaven. So you've got a place in heaven? It's a little sign? Josiah's place? It's right next to it. Say, what does it say? Yeah, say, yeah, right? It's Micah's place, right? Joe's place? Pizza place? Yeah. Is there, is heaven a, the abode of men? No. Do you really think he's preparing a place for you up there? He would be preparing a place on here where a bit where we. But he's not here. He's there, right? So, ha hold that thought. Let's see how your homework works out. Everybody, do your <laughs> homework, and uh, I'm very interested in your thoughts. My mom gave me a good idea, but I'll I'll tell you guys next week. Next week, next week, there it is. Anything else? Final thoughts? No, sir. Final thought. Okay, so love your socks. The uh, thank you, <laughs> the uh, John twelve, where the the crowd answers and has a really interesting comment where they say. We have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? I, I was thinking about that, and I was like, man, I cannot like come up off the top of my head with, like, where does it say that he is eternal, like the Messiah is eternal? Anyway, really helpful cross-references in Psalm 110. Sure, David's Daniel, yeah. there's a bunch of, yeah. like, really cool cross-references, um, Isaiah 9. But... Anyway, Yeshua's answer to that, though, he joshes about light, basically. You know, like, his answer to that, it, it doesn't really relate very much to the eternality of the Messiah, nor does it really relate to why the Son of Man must be lifted up or who the Son of Man is. He just kind of talks about light. I was just wondering if mm. anyone had thoughts mm. about his choice of response there to kind of talk about the light, and it's only here for a little while, but you need to become sons of light. I'm trying to get the, the why, why he says that. Anyway. What was that verse? Uh, John, John 12, 34. What's his response? What you read for? Yeah. So Yeshua said to them, "The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light." And the question posed to him is: We heard that. The Messiah is remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? This is right after he talks about how he needs to be lifted up. And, and it says, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Right, because what's the first question of the three they ask? Um, how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? That's like, like, basically, like, how can you say that the Son of Man is going to die? Because we we we've heard from the law that he's eternal. Exactly. That but isn't, that's what I'm saying. Like, isn't they, that exactly what the Jews are asking you today? Are right. you telling us the Messiah came and they killed him? What's their response? The Messiah can't die. 
If he died, eh, disqualified. That's their answer. We've already heard that. Instant amongst ourselves, we've heard that answer, right? Yeah, yeah. He can't die. Well, what if he rises from the dead? Right. Remember, the Messiah can't die. And his response is, he's going to be with you a little while. Then he's going to be gone. Then he's going to come back again. And to, I think, well, this is an interesting comment because um, Judaism definitely has the idea of Messiah dying and actually the son of Joseph getting resurrected, which is interesting. Only, but, only if you're not talking about Yeshua. Right. I if know. you mention Yeshua, they won't go to Messiah ben Joseph at all. I know. But my point, though, is that this is definitely in there. Or they'll but, say, wait, no, no, see, at the end... He's resurrected at the beginning, but not at the you know. But if you look at the um, if you look at the Yeshua's reference, actually, I think it is kind of cool, because first off, he 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 answers their question by by paralleling with light, and almost this idea of like, okay, so um, this idea of in Judaism, the principle of David, the reason why David's kingdom is associated with the moon, is because there's the idea that just like the moon. David's kingdom will wax and wane. Sure, we want so to have lesson two. a period in which it's going to be super strong. It will diminish to almost nothing. It'll look like it's gone. Right. And then it will come back to full strength. Right. And so, John's argument is that that's already happened once. And so Yeshua's reference to light here, to me, is carrying with it the same imagery. This idea that you're saying the Messiah it lasts forever. I'm not disagreeing with that. But just like the fact the sun disappears or the moon, whichever light you want to insert there, right. the light goes away, the light comes back. That's essentially the same concept. You need to act now while, uh, there's, still while there's still light. Light is going away. It doesn't mean the light won't come back. Right. It's almost kind of, I think it carries with it this idea of, like, I get what you're saying with the eternality thing, but let's remember that even when something is eternal doesn't mean it's always Evident and same. I mean, take what you just said and replace Messiah with the kingdom of David. Right. Right. I mean, the kingdom of David waxed to Solomon and then waned. Right. So we've got from Abraham to fourteen and so forth. Same thing. It works. Yep. Uh, once again, his responses. You just can't do better. What's, what's most impressive about that one, just to, to comment, I think the, the people seem to have gotten what he was trying to get yeah. at because they don't respond to the follow-up. They're not confused. In fact, oddly enough, his references to raise up are totally understand, too. Julian and I were talking about that. We were wondering if maybe it was some sort of lingo at the time. Yeah. You know, like if you if you talk about um, someone getting the chair now. Yeah, everybody knows what you electric mean. Electric chair, right? Yeah. Um, hundred years from now, people will be completely confused what you're talking about. Right. So it almost feels you're like probably going to get some kind of yeah whatever. yeah so yeah whatever so this feels more Mar like Martha got well right no right? she gets the resurrection and the death and resurrection concept but I'm just saying that the raise up language seems to be um, some sort of phraseology no no I get it associated with that and, and to your point not only did the crowd get it but Martha got it later on when she's talking with Yeshua do you believe that I can that he will rise oh, oh yeah yeah I believe in the last days he will rise. She's given a whole theological thing about what Judaism was believing back then. Yes, 
in the last days, in the resurrection, he will rise. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, right now. Right. Oh, no, Lord, he stinketh. Yeah. It does seem like they don't actually agree very much with him here, though, because like the very next statement is when Yeshua had said these things, he departed and hid himself, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. In general. Why did he hide himself, though? He normally only hides himself or passes through their midst or whatever when... Danger? No. Danger from what? From being captured too soon. Why? Why would they try to stone him, kill him, capture him, or whatever? Or raise him up and make him Messiah? Why? Why does that happen? Several times. Watching him heal? No. Being Um, afraid of him? He's growing their beliefs. They recognize. He's making himself He's Yeah. They either recognize he's the Messiah and they want to make him the king now, or more often... He's just blasphemed. And they want to kill him. Why did he hide himself? They did get it. And he had to hide himself. Because they did get it. It's possible. Alright, we're out of time. It's tough, because Joshua gets tired about this time of day. And you know, he takes his watch off. And you know, we gotta, we got to get him home so he can get his little footy pajamas on. It's tough. tough. Alright. Mr. Yes, yeah, it's comfortable, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Martin, I wonder if I could get you to house shoes, slippers. I have those, those are nice. They hurt I'm told regularly that I am doing what my father in law was told not to do. He knows what that means. <laughs> Apparently, wearing socks with your house slippers is. Fed a boat and. Yes. <laughs> oh, I have definitely done that on a really cold day. I started doing it every morning. My <laughs> wife told me, socks or shoes? Choose one of them. Socks or shoes. That's what I do every day, and I don't get any complaint. No. Wait, your time will come. <laughs> socks or slippers? One of the two. All right, I'm trying to get to the beginning of this. Uh, You've never worn your wool socks with your Birkenstocks? Well, I don't have Birkenstocks, but I do have house slippers with a little lamb, like a lamb's wool on the inside. Mm-hmm. And Christina's not, even with the nice socks on, just not, not her thing. Let's be careful that we don't say something that's going to be recorded for the rest of eternity. I'm the one being judged, not Christine. I'm just being judged. <laughs> you don't get yourself in trouble put, that I can't I get you out of. I need, put, I need to put, put my point out there. I need it to be recorded. <laughs> I'm trying to get electronically to the inside cover. I hear that. You know, I've got the guardians of the Talmud and, you know, all these people here. Holy cow. I appreciate that your volume is turned up all the way up so we can hear everything. You're the clicking, yeah. Click. That's yeah, well, it's important. So, uh, there's, a, there's just been, you know, everybody's saying the quality was really good. Really? Um, that is great to know. Brock says, right before Stephen is stoned, he exclaimed something to the effect of, I see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God. That's true. See, that's... Back to our comment earlier about whether he's standing or sitting. I mean, the patrons of the town, but this is very good. I've noticed him not enough about the water. It must be money water. I bet people on the other side of, the, on the other side of, the, of this would be like, what is that horrible clicking sound? Wait a second. Horrible clicking sound? <laughs> Morris Makovsky. That's 
David says, uh, this elf came in like right now for some reason, but uh, David says, it seems to me that the picture of Yeshua sitting or standing is used by the right to convey a point, not necessarily to mean that Yeshua is only sitting and can never stand while in Eve or vice versa. Brock says, could be doing handstands for all we know. It's possible. <laughs> and I think says, theologically, theologically, he's certainly sitting down. I think the point is, Josiah knew he was or is with the Father at his right hand. And if he's preparing a place, one would think he's preparing the place there. And I believe that is a horrible translation. We'll leave it at that. Do your homework, everybody, and see if you agree with me when you come back. I will ask each person in turn to see. Mr. Martin, if you would be so kind. Love your shoes, by the way. Thank you, brother. We thank you, Adonai Elohim, that you have established our portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you have not established our portion with idlers, for we arise early and they arise early. We arise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. We toil and they toil. We toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. We run and they run. We run to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction. As it is written, and you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days, but as for us, we will trust in you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. Thank you, men, for being here. I am sensitive of your time. Go and be with your families, and may God bless you. I will not be here next week. I know that. It's not your week. Just clarifying. I know. I'm good with that. Do you want to?